morning, everyone. Are you ready for a more encouraging story than what we've seen the last couple weeks? Are you ready for that? Uh, we're going to have to wait about another two or three weeks. Uh, it's not going to happen today. We are in the book of Judges, Judges chapter 9, brand new chapter, yet we still have some of the same similar problems. Uh, history has a way of not just repeating itself, but as Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, there is nothing new under the sun. Now, there may be new technologies and new ways of doing things, but what Solomon was talking about was the character, the character of what makes us human. There is nothing new that we're going to think about or do as far as it relates to our relationship with God or our relationship with one another. There's no new... Um, inventive way of how we respond and react to one another and to our spiritual lives. In 1812, of course, America and Britain was at war. And one of those events of the war took place on Lake Erie, which is one of the five Great Lakes, in September of 1813. And it was a naval battle, of all things, happening on Lake Erie. And the commander of the U.S. Army, or the U.S. Navy, at that time was uh, Commander Perry. And he gained an incredible victory with insurmountable odds. It was like his one boat against five massive British boats filled with their Marines and their Navy. And Perry outmaneuvered them, used the weather and used the land, and uh, gained incredible victory over it. And Britain surrendered there on Lake Erie. And Perry sent a message to his commander, which was Harrison, and said, Commander Harrison, we have met the enemy, and they are ours. And it wasn't until 1970 that we kind of picked up on that phrasing again, although very poetically true to us. Uh, there was a comic strip called Pogo. I never remembered seeing that in the newspaper, but maybe some of you have seen that comic strip, Pogo. Uh, the guy who did the, the comic strip, his name was um, Walt or Walter Kelly. Walter Kelly. And um, I'm going to preface this by saying I am not an environmentalist. I am a biblical environmentalist, which means I believe we should all have not just a respect for nature around us, but we should utilize it in a way that honors God. Okay? To protect it for protection's sake is not utilizing it the way God has biblically commanded us to use it. So, in 1970, Earth Day rolls around, and the Pogo comic strip comes out and paraphrases, in a sense, what Perry said in 1813. He said, we have met the enemy. The enemy is us. And what he was saying in that cartoon, which has been picked up and, and used for many, many years since then, is he's saying, we are our own worst enemy. That oftentimes we put ourselves in a spot where we are reaping the rewards of our inactions, laziness, overspending, uh, ridicule, judgmental attitude, whatever it might be, oftentimes we end up in a spot because we put ourselves in that spot. No one else put us there, even though we may blame others. We really are responsible for our own outcomes when it comes to those type of things. And I think that is incredibly fitting to keep in the back of your mind. We have met the enemy, and the enemy is us. When we start looking at Judges chapter 9 in particular. 
Now, the first two verses of Judges chapter 9, that combined with what Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun, we have the first two verses that set up the entirety of the chapter 9, which the writer of Judges says the following. Now, Abimelech, the son of Jerubbabel, now that is uh, Sol- um, Gideon, that's his kind of local name, went to Shechem to his mother's relatives and said to them and to the whole clan of his mother's family. So Abimelech is going back to his hometown, which from our perspective would be the far north side of Pueblo, the outer reaches of Pueblo, large community there called Shechem. And Abimelech goes to Shechem because that's where his mom's family is from. Now Abimelech is one of how many brothers and sisters? Well, at least we know brothers, 70 brothers. And Abimelech's mom was not one of Gideon's wives, but one of Gideon's concubines. So he wasn't even a legitimate son. But he goes to his family's clan, his family's household, his family's town, and says the following. Say it into the ears of the leaders of Shechem. Which is better for you, that all 70 of the sons of Jerubal rule over you or that one rules over you remember also I am your bone and your flesh you can almost see the conspiracy starting hey you don't want one of those guys from Denver ruling over you do you No. you want one of us from Pueblo I'm your people you're my people green chili yeah you don't want those guys that are talking about Denver? What? No, no, no. You want one of us. Keep it in the neighborhood. Keep it in the family. Hey, if you don't let me rule you, you're going to have some foreigner coming in here and just taking over. Do you really want that? And all of a sudden, that typical telephone chain mentality runs wild. The gossip starts. The rumor starts. All of a sudden, people are taking sides. Who are you going to vote for? Who do you want to rule? Who do you want over you? Yeah, we want Abimelech. Yeah, Abimelech. And all of a sudden, people get more and more excited and more and more enthusiastic about their choice. And you're like, we don't want these foreigners in here. This is our land. We want you to rule over us. And all of a sudden, that small little subtle, hey, come on, let's do it. How about me? Starts to spread among the influencers and the people of Shechem. And before you know it, the conspiracy is full-blown deception, full of politics and murder. And no, playing politics is not a 20th century invention here in America. It has always been around, starting from the earliest of days, and we've seen it even in the book of Judges, Judges 9. Abimelech is playing the role of a wicked, deceiving, conspiracy-ridden politician. And the people should have been wise enough to say, you are pitting us up against the family of our national hero, Gideon. And in comes the action of the citizens of Shechem, which is absolutely despicable, even by today's political standards. Verse 3, and his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem. And their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of Baal-bereth, which is just the local temple, 
with which Abimelech hired <laughs> worthless and reckless follow, fellows who followed him. That was his posse. Those were his political pundits. Those were his henchmen, really. And he went to his father's house at Ophrah, which would have been south of there, and killed his brothers, the sons of Drubel. Seventy men on one stone. Abimelech wasn't playing. How can a brother kill another brother out of that pure hatred, out of wanting to advance themselves, out of selfishness? I think it's hard for us to answer that question because we'd have to go all the way back to Cain and Abel and figure out why Cain did it. Well, Cain did it out of pride, arrogance, a sense of they're entitled and I want that same entitlement. Abimelech kills 70 men on one stone, signifying that this all took place really that afternoon. One after another killed him on that stone. Despicable. Horrible. Who could have been watching that and say, oh yeah, this is great. I want a king like that. That, that should have immediately resonated with the people. This is not who I want ruling over us. I want someone who is merciful and kind and generous and forgiving. Yes, they know how to wield the sword of authority, but not like that. This is plain and simple murder in order to make yourself king. That doesn't make you a king. God said very clearly, you want a king, this is how you do it. It's the one who honors and serves me above all things, who wants to follow my law above all things, who doesn't care about what the people say, but just what God says and follows God. He gave very specific instructions to Israel during the time of their wandering in the wilderness. If you want a king, you have to do it this way. Not by who can kill the most brothers and sisters so they don't have any competition, but to the one who honors me with their heart and soul above all things. That is who I want as a king for Israel. So Abimelech and his worthless band of followers kills all of his brothers, except one was left. Jotham, the youngest son of Drubal, was left, for he hid himself. Who can blame him? He hears his brothers being gathered together, taken to a stone in the middle of the city, and slaughtered. Of course he's going to hide himself. And all the leaders of Shechem came together, and all Beth Malo, which is just outlining towns that called the House of Malo, and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar at Shechem. So instead of the leaders of Shechem realizing, whoops, we backed the wrong person, he's a murderer, they doubled down and said, he's our guy. Because if he's not our guy, we may end up on the chopping block of that stone as well. So yeah, he's our guy. And they went to all places of the oak, the pillar at Shechem, which was exactly where God renewed the covenant with Joshua 
in the book of Joshua and said, you are my people and I am your God. As long as you serve me, there'll be peace in the land. There'll be plenty in the land. But the moment you stop following me, I will rise up terrible people to enslave you. And you will lose my blessing. You will still be my people. I will still be your God. But it will be terrible for you in that day when you reject me. And that's the place where the leaders of Shechem said, I'm going to make a murderer our king. I don't even know how that would relate to us. Maybe if we all went to Washington, D.C. and took someone from Al-Qaeda and said, okay, now you're emperor over us. We'd look at that and go, but, but that's a place of our national heritage where it's celebrated and we have monuments to that celebration and dedication. This would be the same thing, the same idea, the same feeling that you'd have in Israel taking him to that oak at Shechem and making this murderer king. It, it goes against everything that's been done at that place before. Everything that that place was to be standing for and celebrated for all of Joshua's memories, all the memories of those who came out of the land of Egypt would have been utterly spit on at that moment. How? How can they have gone that far so quickly? The sons of Gideon were still alive. How could they have slipped that quickly? Well, they must have been really bad people. I don't think they were really bad people. They were people. People. Just like you and I can slip real quick, real fast, real far before you even realize, wow, I've slipped. Because the moment you take your eyes of satisfaction and loyalty off of God, you are already slipping. You are already slipping. You take your eyes and loyalty off of God, and you are just like the leaders of Shechem, where you will turn a blind eye to true wickedness and evil in order to bring a sense of satisfaction to yourself. Not wanting to step on toes, not wanting to get involved, don't want to make a stand, I don't want to create waves, I don't want to have to stand on truth and be ridiculed, so I'll take the easy way out, which is slippery, and a slide away from God's loyalty. Except one fled and hid. And this one individual Obviously, the youngest of his 70 sons. Who knows how many other daughters or, or um, sisters he had, but the 70 sons were murdered outside of Shechem, I mean, outside of Abimelech and Jotham. And so Jotham runs and hides. And we have his dialogue taking place in the next several verses. And one that was told to Jotham, verse 7, he went on and stood on top of Mount um, Gerizim, and in, in your mind, um, how many, let me ask it in a reverse way, how many of you have never been to Liberty Point? Never. You've never been there. Oh, okay, I, you got to make the trip. It's literally 15 minutes away, and it's one of the most gorgeous, beautiful spots to see all of Pueblo, the river, and so forth. So when you get there, you'll know exactly what this illustration means. So, so those of you that have been there before, you realize that if you stand towards the edge of Liberty Point and you look out upon the reservoir, there's, there's a little bit of distance, right? Right. 
So this is pretty much where Jotham is. He's kind of standing up on an area that's really easy to fall off of, but very hard to climb up to. So he has a sense of incredible bravery as he's going to say the next thing because there's no way for the people in the valley to come get him. He can always take off, and he's totally safe in where he is now communicating this fable, this prophecy, this, um, this example of what the city of Shechem has done. So when Jotham was told this, he went and stood on the top of mountain, uh, Mount Gerizim and cried aloud and said to them, so they all would have been down in the valley, listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. Wow. See, I imagine the people of Shechem, though, at that moment were a little confused because they were thinking, well, we're children of Abraham. We're Jews. We know the law of Moses. We're his promised people living in his promised land. What do you mean we need to do something for God to hear us? You see, they were so blind to their disloyalty, idolatry, and sin that they still thought, I've got a great relationship with God. I'm walking right with him because I'm one of his people. My name's written on the membership rolls. I've got to be one. And Jotham says, no, 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 no. Listen to me so that God will listen to you. Follow my instructions so that you will be back into a relationship with God is what Jotham is really saying. And he tells him this story, starting in verse 8. The trees once went out to another to anoint a king over them. And they said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, shall I leave my abundance by which gods and men are honored and hold sway over the trees? And the trees said to the fig tree, why don't you come and reign over us? But the fig tree said to them, shall I leave my sweetness in the good fruit and go lay hold and sway over the trees? And the tree said to the vine, you come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, Shall I leave my wine that cheers God and men and hold sway over the trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble. That's the last one they had to go to. Well, how about you come and reign over us? And the bramble said to the trees, If in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. And if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. So the story that Jotham communicates is wonderfully illustrative. Although you have to use your imagination. All the trees are now alive and able to talk and walk around. And they realize we need a king. So they go to three incredible trees and life of plant. The fig tree, the olive tree, and the vine. And all three of those simply tell the rest of the trees, I'm doing other good. I can't add this to my plate. I can't do it. And so they go to, the easiest way for us to understand it, the plant that produces goat heads. I don't know what plant that is, but I sure know when I find a goat head. <laughs> Which, by the way, they never have out east. That is not a thing other people have. This is the first time I've ever experienced the pain of walking barefoot, even in my own house. So, Jotham says, 
you had three good options and those three options all said no to you just like Gideon said no. And so you chose a plant that produces goat heads that guaranteed you, come to me and you'll have shade, which means I'll have rest, a place to, to get out of the beating sun. And that bramble, those thorns, that, that worthless, useless plant makes them a promise. Well, if you really want me to be king, I'll be king. But if this goes south, I warn you, I will retaliate. Fire will destroy you. Wow. Shechem, wake up. This is not the king that God desires. This will not be a good and godly king for you. This will be a king that brings punishment. This will bring a king that brings terror. He will rule with the sword, not with compassion and mercy and law. He will want to do his own thing, his own way, and he's got a whole bunch of followers that you've paid for that are going to enforce his will over you. Your freedom's gone. Your safety's gone. Your shade is gone. And you are now going to be subject to his punishing will. So Jotham leaves them with prophecy. Tells them the story. And I think immediately they understood exactly what Jotham was saying. We had a choice of making some other good people king. They did not want it. Gideon did not want that kingship in his family. Maybe he knew that there were going to be difficulties and temptations, so he'd rather not do it, and he didn't. But his one son wanted it, took it, bribed his way through it through conspiracy, deception, murder. And so now Jotham tells him what the end of the story is going to be, starting in verse 16. Now, therefore... If you acted in good faith and integrity when you made Abimelech king, and if you have dealt well with Drubal and his house and have done him as his deeds deserved, for my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you from the hand of Midian, and you have risen up against my father's house this day and have killed his sons, 70 men on one stone, and have made Abimelech, the son of his female servant, king over the leaders of Shechem because he is your relative. So he says, if there is any good in you, any integrity in you, and this has happened, verse 19, if you have then acted in good faith and integrity with Jerubal and his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Melo, and let fire come out from the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Melo, and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled and went to Beer and lived there because of Abimelech, his brother. You notice very subtly in Jotham's clarity to the leaders at Shechem, he does not judge them, does he? He does not say, you have done evil in my eyes and in God's eyes, you have done evil to my family. 
He lets the judging side of things, the conviction side of things, to lie with God, basically. He says, if you've done right, if you've done everything fair and above board, and if you've treated my father and his family with integrity, which you know they deserve because my father put his life at risk. He was one of 300 men that went in and gave you victory following the Lord. If you've done him right and you've made Abimelech your king because of his integrity and your integrity, then I applaud you and I hope that he's a good king for you. But if there's been any deception in this, if there's been any lying, scheming, conniving, if there's been any uh, offhandedness in any of this, then I'm making this prophecy. You, the leaders of Shechem, you're going to devour Abimelech. And Abimelech, you're going to devour them. It is going to be nothing but contention and strife and war between you. You will not find safety and shade in each other's companionship. You will find adversity and rivalry and war, and you will be punished. So he left it to their own heart's conviction. Did we treat Gideon's family rightly, the way he deserved? Now, Gideon's son, Jotham, wasn't asked, asking for Gideon to be worshipped. He was a man who stepped up when God gave him the right opportunity and the right encouragement and the right support and stepped out in faith and did what God called him to do. Nothing unique in that, but he simply stepped out and did it. And in the process of that, brought peace to the land of Israel for 40 years. 40 years they had peace. Yes, they were still caught up in idolatry, and that idolatry gripped Gideon, his household, the entire city, the entire area. But he still was their national champion and hero. Still brought them peace from Midian. And they turned that all over because of the possibility we're going to get a foreigner ruling over us. Yeah, they're still an Israelite. They're still a God follower. They're still part of the family of God, but they're not that much family. I think Jotham is, for being a young guy who hides from being murdered and pursued by uh, Abimelech and his henchmen, I think he's incredibly wise. Not just in his fable and story that he shared, but allowing God to do the conviction in their own hearts. He does not have to stand up and Bible thump and say, what you did was wrong. He just simply had to say, evaluate what you did. Is it full of integrity? If it's full of integrity, great job. If there's any deception in it whatsoever, you will not escape judgment. Now, a few things to take home from here. Because in applying this, um, it may be very difficult to apply this without thinking of politicians in our day and age. So let's forget about politicians for a moment and think to ourselves, who are our other enemies? <laughs> Not that politicians are our enemies, but who are our other real enemies that we struggle with as believers and as Christians and maybe in your life individually? And I want to turn to Psalm 31 quickly. Psalm 31, written by David, has a similar experience that Jotham has and appeals to God 
in the midst of this really hard struggle that he's having with Saul. And he says in verse 11 of Psalm 31, he's basically singing out to God this song of desperation. He says, because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and I'm an object of dread to my acquaintances, and those who see me in the streets flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel, for I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, and they scheme together against me as they plot to take my life. So how does David respond to that? He says, but I trust in you, Jehovah. I say that you are my God. Many times are in, my times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol or to the grave. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolence against the righteous in pride and contempt. What does David do when he's surrounded by enemies that whisper in the dark about how bad of a guy he is? He doesn't go attack them. What does he do? What is his first thought? God, help. God, save. God, protect. God, resolve. God, help. In 2 Timothy, Paul, in a similar situation, not as grave and dangerous as David, in verse 18 of 2 Timothy chapter 4, and this is right along basically the very last verse of Scripture Paul writes. Because 2 Timothy is the last book that he wrote, and the last two verses or few verses in the chapter are greeting verses, like, oh, say hello to so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so for me until I get there. So verse 18, though, is one of those last, these are the Bible verses to memorize, last words of Paul from a scriptural standpoint of authority to the church. He says, actually, just let me start with verse um, 17. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth, all the persecution that he had gone through. And he names people that have been persecuting him in the verses above. And then he says in verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul could have called down the fires of heaven to destroy his enemies. Instead, with great confidence, even in the face of death, which he would eventually be martyred for his faith, he appeals to God. God will keep me safe, and God will bring me to my heavenly home. And I want to close with one last verse. 
that really directly applies to us. Out of Psalm 23, that great psalm that describes Jesus as our shepherd, in verse 4, it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, we can have that same confidence in light of a world that wants to silence us and persecute us and remove us. We don't have to fight, but we do have to cower. We have to cower under the wings of the Almighty. We have to hide ourselves in the cliff of the rock. We have to make God our first and foremost defense and safety. We have to be like David, like Paul, even like Jesus Christ who cried out, Father, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. We can be just like Jotham and stand up to an evil society and culture and not hurl Bible verses at them to judge them from a soapbox. All we have to do is cry out to God, help me, protect me, because you have the same confidence God, Paul has when he says, I know he's going to bring me to heaven. Through all of this, I know where my Redeemer lives, and he will be mine forever now and forever. And we get to celebrate that this morning in this table. We get to celebrate as we come together as fellowship and communion. We get to celebrate partaking of this together, acknowledging with one another, he is my savior, he is my all in all, he is my protector. Just like he was for David and Paul, he is mine. Because we may feel very much like a Jotham at times, where the world is against us and we know that they are evil. But Jotham, like David and like Paul, knew where their source of strength and power and comfort came from. It wasn't from them fighting. It was from resting in God's almighty shade of protection. So as the elders come forward, let's pray. Our good God, we thank you for your greatness. And we pray, Father, for your protection upon us, no matter where we are at in life, no matter how we are bombarded by the world and sin and compromise and disloyalty. Help us, Father, to approach that with confidence in your word, but also safety under your hands and under your arms. Father, you are our God and we are your people. And you are so good to us. Help us, Father, through our words and our actions, represent your gospel to a world that is hurting and in need of the message of Jesus Christ. Help us be that message to the world. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, amen.